Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome back to our podcast on coronary artery CT angiography. And let's start uh, this session with looking at how we select patients for coronary CTA. As you know and as you might expect, in a new technology, it's often hard to figure out what the best patients are for a study. Some people will have very select indications and consider those to be appropriate. Other people say, well, if the heart's beating, then that's an indication. Well, the truth is somewhere in between. So let's start. Let's look at some of the ones that are pretty well accepted. We'll look at some that are somewhat controversial and also recognize, and I won't show you the quotes, and maybe I'll speak about it uh, tomorrow, that there's been a new paper from the American Heart Association, American College of Radiology, where uh, they looked and tried to define which are the truly reasonable techniques to do today and which ones may not be ready for prime time today but might be ready tomorrow. So let's begin. And I can begin by saying there are two indications that everybody agrees on. The first one is to define the origin of the coronary arteries. If there's a question, a typical chest pain, or for some other reason, there's a question, where is the patient's origin of the coronary arteries? Everyone agrees, go to CT. It's more accurate in this application than angiography, and it's perfect. Up to 3% of patients will have uh, variations in coronary artery anatomy. Some are significant, some are not. And we'll speak about that in a little bit. Another patient who might be... Uh, Good indication if a patient does not want a catheterization and the clinician feels the patient needs one, then maybe a cardiac CT would be a good study to do. If it's negative, you can stop. If it's uh, positive or questionable, you then may be able to convince the patient that it's definitely the right thing for them to do. Other applications, unexplained chest pain in the ER physician's office is a very, very exciting uh, application. Again, ERCT will be the biggest growth. The question is what patients should get uh, CT scans. Is it a typical chest pain? Uh, is that enough? Should they go to nuclear studies? Which patients should go to angio? Which should go to CT? We're seeing many more of these patients, particularly when other studies are negative. And what about the patient at risk? Those with a high family history of coronary disease or markedly elevated cholesterol over a long period of time, should those patients get cardiac CT to exclude any disease? Of course, we can get calcium scoring, that's easy, but we recognize and we discussed the limitations of calcium scoring. So many people think, and I would probably agree that at some point in time, maybe not this year, and maybe not next year, but surely within five years, uh, the patient at risk will probably get a scan in the 40 to 50 age range at that point. In terms of patient selection, a uh, patient with unexplained or atypical chest pain where an aberrant vessel is considered, I mentioned it's one of the really good applications. And let me just show you an example or two. Here's a case, a very nice example. Look at the patient's coronaries. And this is just to show you the point I like to make about how it's so important to do the rendering yourself. When you look at these few images, not a whole lot is jumping out at you. Though the RCA seems a bit medial, but it's probably okay. Well, what's going on? Well, look what happens when you start looking at the images. You see now in this perfect image, you can see that the patient's circumflex is coming off the origin of the proximal RCA. And you follow it through a sequence of images. You can very nicely see exactly where it's going between the uh, atrium and the aorta. It's really nicely defined there. And it's defined here. Again, another volume rendered image. And it's shown pretty well here in this MIP image as well. 
So I really like to uh, look at aberrant vessels in this top-down approach. In fact, I always like to say that when I look at coronary arteries, the first thing I will do is basically begin uh, from above and scroll through in a volume display to make sure the coronaries are in the right place. And you can see that interactively. Uh, you can see on this interactive mode uh, that the uh, on volume rendering, very nice display showing you the patient's coronary arteries and the, the visualization in, of interactivity. Again, interactivity, it's critical. And whether you go to volume display or you go to a MIP display, it's very nicely shown in this example. So interactivity is critical. And uh, we'll speak more about interactivity a little bit later. Another example, here's a kid, 11-year-old, who uh, fainted twice at recess. Her pediatrician said, let's rule out a coronary artery anomaly. Doesn't look that impressive on the axial images, but look at the 3D mapping here. We're doing the mapping to uh, look at the vessels with circulation software. And look at the patient's right coronary coming off the left cusp. We can lay that out a bit better. Here's two more images. And you very nicely can see this is a significant anomaly, the uh, right coronary coming off the left cusp. And the question here was, where exactly did the vessel go in terms of entering the aorta? Was it a single orifice? Was it multiple orifices? And here you can see a single orifice. Again, volume rendering, uh, reverse the ramp, looking straight into the lumen of the aorta, and there's a single uh, opening. Another example, here's a patient, uh, look at this nice rendering, look at the patient's right coronary artery, and I'll show you a few more images, but the coronaries are rising off the left cusp, and here it is again, very nice, so you can see it's scattering through right between the RV outflow tract and the aortic outflow tract, nice example, or this example where you can see there's really a single coronary artery. The uh, patient's right and left coronaries arise from a single vessel, or you can say the LAD is rising off the RCA, and we can look at that in many planes and many perspectives. Here it is, color volume display. Here it is with a MIP display. We edit a bit more of the heart away, but this is an important anomaly, particularly in this patient who has evidence of early atherosclerotic disease in that proximal uh, left uh, coronary artery, and that can indeed become significant, and in this patient, that would be very much catastrophic. So something to be able to look at, and again, I'll just show you how we look at that case. Again, the stenosis proximal uh, left main coronary artery. You see the branching pattern here. And again, variation of the coronaries is very important to recognize and is not uncommon. And you can see again in this example, same case, just showing you two very nice images. And again, the calcification, the origin of the uh, left anterior descending coronary artery. Now, what are their applications? Well, another application we talk about patients with unexplained or atypical chest pain with little or no associated cardiac risk factors and a normal EKG. The patients have no evidence of documented coronary artery disease. Often they're considered the low risk group. Well, in this situation, I think what you're thinking about cardiac CT is we're not certain what's going on. Everything is negative. You get a cardiac CT, it's negative. Home run, not a cardiac pathology. So that's where it's helpful. What about this one? A typical or, or typical chest pain with borderline um, stress tests and normal equivocal EKG. And I think CT is very good there. We have a number of studies that are equivocal. 
what exactly do you do? You're not going to send the patient to cath. You may not feel very comfortable following the patient based on their symptoms. In that situation, CT, again, is an excellent study. That indeed will typically get you the, the answer. What about patients with intermediate risk factors? Now, these are patients without a history of coronary disease documented, but they have an intermediate risk factor for a number of reasons. And again, these may be really good patients to get cardiac CTs on. Again, it will vary. In the ER setting, there's a lot of interest. I mentioned acute chest pain, and the initial publications are indeed very good. The biggest worry, of course, is how many patients can you scan a night? Who's going to read them? Are they going to overuse it? Probably the answer is yes to all of the above. But again, it will be a very, very important tool. And there have been several articles that have made this point. Um, that's a very rapid triage method, that it's really ideal. And here's an example from Charlie White at the University of Maryland. ECG-gated uh, multi-slice CT appears to be logistically feasible and shows promise as a comprehensive test for the evaluation of cardiac and non-cardiac chest pain in emergency room patients. I left out the word stable, and that's a very important word. If the patient's not stable, you better not be doing a CT routinely on them. Just some numbers, sensitivity and specificity for cardiac cause of chest pain, 83 96%, and overall sensitivity and specificity, 87% and 96%. So indeed, it's important to recognize one of the best things about cardiac CT in the ER setting is not just the ability to diagnose or exclude coronary artery disease, but detect the other possibilities from PE to dissection to pneumonia to pleural effusions. CT, single exam, answering multiple, multiple questions. There have been several articles on chest pain. Here's another article, acute chest pain. This is 16 slice. Uh, CTA using 16 enables uh, accurate, non-invasive detection of significant coronary disease for acute chest pain syndromes. Again, that's possible. A whole lot better at 64. Overall accuracy for the main vessels was 93, 88, 86 and 86 percent respectively so those are indeed very very good data when you're comparing cardiac CTA with classic angiography now an important thing understanding who to do it's equally important to know who not to do we spoke before about arrhythmias we spoke about too high a heart rate obviously if you're allergic to contrast material I don't care uh, what contrast you use, use Visipake, it's much better, but there's still a chance of reaction. You need to be careful. Patients in renal failure, patients who are uncooperative. And again, the issue with very dense calcifications, making somebody ineligible for the study. Those are all possibilities. Now, what about calcified plaque? Why is it such a problem? Well, once you have calcified plaque, which is a good marker of disease, it's very hard in areas of extensive calcification to detect the presence of disease. You can't tell exactly what is going on. So it's very, very critical, uh, very difficult group of patients. Now, often in meetings, people say, do you scan patients with high calcification, with extensive calcification? Do you? And if you don't, do you exclude patients with a certain score? Is it a magic number, 500, 600, 300? I've heard people talk about 300. I've heard people talk about 100 Hounsfield units. I don't think uh, that really is in and of itself a specific finding or a specific important enough finding. Now, let me show you a couple examples why I think this is all the case. If you look at this case, very 
multiple areas of calcification LAD. Now, dense calcifications do give you blooming artifacts. It is potentially an issue. But if you start looking at the images using some 3D rendering, in this case volume rendering and color mapping it, you recognize that the calcifications are eccentric. And so what you're really seeing is a sequela of positive remodeling. There's no significant narrowing of the vessel. You then can also look uh, at these images in the uh, multiplanar view. You can look at them with curved planar reconstruction, but you bring the vessel into display you can see there is calcification, but when you look at the vessel, look at the lumen, there was no significant luminal narrowing. I mentioned extensive calcification. That was a minor case. Look at this case. Look how extensive the calcification is in cross-section. You can see very nicely LAD and circumflex, very densely calcified. And here's the right coronary artery. And what you see in the right coronary artery, besides the very dense calcification, Look proximally. You see those little gouges? Those are little areas of soft plaque. And between the combination soft plaque and calcified plaque, this patient's RCA was occluded and uh, needed a procedure. So again, it's important to recognize that we don't use an absolute score. And calcium can make things difficult, but you can get around it in most cases. Another example, well, here's just two more images from the last case. And you can show very nicely the area of interest. Another case, look at this patient. This patient's calcium score is 1,300. Do I send them home? Patient has an IV in, they've given beta blockers. That's a tough sell, but I would do the right thing. But look at this case. You see the calcification? Well, look at the CTA. Look at that significant narrowing in the patient's LAD. That's a 70% narrowing. That patient was stented the next morning. This is a classic example of LAD disease that if you didn't give the contrast, you would overlook. But look how nicely you see it, you see the calcifications. Now in this patient, because we want to do both studies, we um, recognize that at times you would think about canceling a study, but when you look at the calcification and you look at its spread, if it's diffuse, you can do fine. If it's very focal, you could do fine. You may have certain areas that you can't evaluate satisfactorily, but most of the referring docs will want us to do the study, and I think you can do it. So this example very nicely shown. Here it is when you're looking at the patient's um, uh, cross-sectional views. Look how, look how extensive that stenosis is in the patient's left anterior descending. It's about an 80-plus percent stenosis. That patient was stented, as I mentioned. Now, of course, a case like this is so much calcification. We're going to see our dual-source scanner is being installed. We're going to see how well dual-source will make that better. So that's a very exciting area of, uh, of where we're getting better, but there can be some, some significant changes. And just to mention the change, you can look at multiple ways of rendering, and you can accentuate calcification but not get it to disappear. With dual-source imaging, you scan at two different energy levels, 80 and 140, which allows separation of calcium and contrast. Again, um, let me just comment that on the dual source, it's important to recognize that it's 83 milliseconds temporal resolution, and that allows us a number of things. One is not to use beta blockers, but also because there's two x-ray tubes, we can do dual energy. Calcium and contrast behave differently, uh, different energies, and so one of the things you can look at is the potential to separate calcium and contrast. 
and here's just a schematic of showing the difference in behaviors at 90 or 80 and 140 uh, MAS and again um, an image of that now Siemens does it by uh, alternating the uh, the x-ray in the different tubes GE is also introducing it but they do a single x-ray tube but they're able to do a sophisticated generator switching routine and so they're able to go 80 to 140 back and forth and then you can see here very nicely upper image calcification and contrast right SFA and then you separate the calcium only and then you're left with the contrast only so very very good opportunity now I mentioned before about some of the ways we can do a cardiac CT angio that you can look at axial images and you could look at MPR images and you look at VRT images and MIP and two of the above or all of the above and I think that all of the above may be the answer I look at the axials I look at the curved planos I look at the 3d I look at the volume I look at the MIP I look at the circulation I think you have to look at everything when you have a vessel the size of a string of spaghetti that's in the range of four to five millimeters and the key thing is calling a stenosis of 50 percent or greater you need to be as accurate as possible you're pushing the machine get everything the machine offers it's not that hard to do and let's talk about that but let's talk about it in 40 minutes and maybe it'll be 40 minutes or we'll talk about it in a couple days when you get back if not i look forward to seeing you later thanks a lot